Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everybody. I'm Malcolm Hawker, your host for the CDO Matters podcast. I am honored to be joined today by Renee Lottie. Renee, hi. Hi, aloha. Aloha. Yes, Renee is uh, lucky enough to live on the big island of, of Hawaii uh, with her feral chickens and, and dogs and, and everything else that you get when you live in that wonderful, amazing, idyllic paradise-like place. Um, uh, I met Renee, we met online, um, which I, I guess is increasingly common these days. Um, I was struck by a comment that Renee made to one of my many LinkedIn posts. We were, we were bantering about uh, AI and how AI is going to take over the world. And, 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 and Renee says something that really, really struck with me, which, which was, like you said, it's it's actually tagline in your in your LinkedIn post. You said um, AI will help humans be more human, and I, I was just I was like, oh yes, 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 because we're going to have to be more creative, and we're going to have to figure out more innovative and novel ways to solve difficult problems and and be more human. But that that that's that's kind of really how we met. I, I'll I'll intro Renee a, a little bit because. Um, her background is truly uh, remarkable. It's spectacular. Uh, Renee's been a CIO of SC Johnson, a little company called Symantec, another company called uh, Hitachi Ventara. When I was doing a little research, I had known Hitachi as more of a services company, but they're also an infrastructure company and has almost 10% of the kind of the overall kind of data infrastructure and storage market and is out there competing with the with the Amazons and EMCs of the world and, and whatnot. So to make a long story short, uh, Renee has been a CIO for a long time with some pretty big companies and knows the world of the CDO, although you've never had that title yourself, right? No, and I think it's the early days before all those titles get sorted out. The I in CIO sometimes is innovation, sometimes it's information. I think we have an identity crisis or at least a role and responsibility crisis among those those particular, I call them sweet, CIO, CDO, CAO. We're, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a struggle, but no, I've never held the CDO title per se. Did you have any that worked for you? I did, but it was, you know, early days, you know, not as far back as the dinosaurs roaming the earth, but close. And I had head of analytics teams. Okay. I had had dotted line, hard lined, and then some of the responsibilities actually fell under a CIO's role in the early days. So it was right. it was before it all became labeled as it is today, which I still don't think is completely crystal clear for everybody. Well, why isn't it? I think that it's an identity crisis because of really understanding or lack of understanding of context. When people say, I'm applying for a CDO role or a CAO role or a CIO role today, especially today, I'll throw CIOs in there too. You better understand who you report to. You better understand how the role is defined as success. Some places it's just cleanse the data and get the infrastructure working and let people work remotely all over the world. Or it's, oh no, we have a very discrete business problem and we need AI and ML to do X, Y, Z. Or others are, we want a culture of data scientists all over the company. 
it's very disparate. And I think because of that, um, I think the role is actually set up to be to fail or not be as successful as it could be. And just the fact that we're saying CAO, CDO, CAO, CIO, and we're them all in the same bucket. It's yeah, it's very, it's not as um, cut and dry. The CFO, we've known what that acronym's meant since the dawn of time. CHRO, Chief Revenue Officer, COO, CEO. That those are all pretty tried and true KPIs to measure their success. I'd say the the suite of these things that we just are talking about, the KPIs change, context changes. Heck, technology reinvents itself every 20, 12 months now or so, or faster, which means these roles have different ways of measuring success and probably have a very schizophrenic context by which they're trying to do their jobs. So one of the things that certainly unites us is our desire to help these people succeed and CDOs, CDAOs. Given what you just said, do, do you see there being kind of an important role for people who are evaluating these positions to kind of just step back and, and redefine the role or, or push for? I mean, it goes without saying that you should, if, if you're being hired into a C-level role or even a, a SVP role or VP role, that you should push to have clarity on what your deliverables are. But yeah. but how do we get to a point where the, the role is better defined? Because it, it seems like it's a recurring theme. I'm hearing a lot of that. Uh, research that that uh, people that you and I both read, uh, uh, Randy yep. Bean, um, uh, Tom Davenport have, have printed that said that you know role ambiguity is part of the problem. So there's agreement there. How do we get around that? Well, I think there's a couple. It's you know it's it's it takes two to to get a the right person in the right role to help the the entity be successful and define success in in the the best way possible. And I think one thing is yes, let's get to the leaders who are writing these roles or the the agency or whoever to better understand right. the role. But I think that means you've got to take even a bigger step back because it means do you, whoever's posting this role thinks they need this role. What real discrete business problem are they trying to solve? And that question, as simple as it is, is super hard to get a, a discrete answer from because the CDO role just is supposed to cleanse the data, bring it together, and then money will fall out of this hyper-converged storage device that the CIOs help them set up in their own data center or up in the cloud. It's just, it's so, um, it's so nebulous. And now we put Jeff GPT on top of it. It's like, now they want this other thing too. I would say there's a couple pieces. One, the CDO needs to recognize they need to ask some tough questions through that process and suggest, well, let me suggest maybe how this role might start out and could evolve. So there's a little more of a proactive, let me tell you a little bit, because it's a non-linear role. If you think about design mm. thinking and all of the things, you know, it's a non-linear, you rapidly explore, you fast fail. Does the culture of this company have a patience at the C-suite level to allow failures at that level? We say it, we've said it for years, but are you walking the talk on that? I think the other piece is really challenging is um, there's some really, what used to be the soft skills, they call them soft skills, but I call them leadership skills. These individuals incumbent upon the CDO and, and the like have to understand that their jobs involve organizational change management. They have to understand that there's pieces of this for success. And again, I think the, the research even says that you have to be an embracer of moving the needle on data literacy. 
a data and AI culture. And if you look at what that is, that isn't showing up every day in doing, it's inspiring, it's talking over the back fence, if you will, to your peers and creating buzz, it's empowering your teams. Those aren't necessarily skills you're gonna see written in a job description, but you have to believe that, or have to hope, or you have to confirm that those are, those are things that the entity that's hiring you understands, and that's how success is gonna be measured. So do you think a part of it here is, you know, if I look across the rest of the C-suite, I think you can make some logical conclusions about what highly definitive kind of non-squishy measurable KPIs would naturally be, right? If you're the chief product officer, it's better products, right? It's more revenue. If you're the chief revenue officer, obviously it's more revenue. If you're chief operations, it's, you know, making sure that the factory runs efficiently. Um, when it comes to the chief data officer, you, you used a couple of different examples, data literacy and a, and a data-driven culture. And in my conversations with CDO, while I was a Gartner, those were, those were big ones, right? Digital transformation was another one, right? I'm, I've, yep, been, I've been yep, given a digital yep. transformation mandate. But then when you push on that, it, it's, it's like the balloon half filled with water right? Where, yeah. where the water just squeezes out the top and you really can't pin down what that actually means or how to even measure it. So, so there's the soft skills couldn't, couldn't agree more, of course. But, but I'm wondering how much of this is a problem of these, these expected deliverables that are really, really hard to measure. Well, I think it goes back to, um, and I did, I think I said this sign to a colleague the other day that I heard the word value. And again, value Immediately, it's mentioned someone holding a bag of money, right? That's just kind of the brain that we're hardwired. <laughs> well, you know, but if you think about CDOs, you think about generative AI, you think about the chat GPT mania that's out there, value has, you got to step it back and we've got to redefine value. And wherever that comes from, and I think it's the, you know, the executive committees of companies or the CEO or somebody or the board, if it needs to be, value has to be redefined. And the, as well as the KPIs of how we measure it. So, and again, that's that will give the platform for those CDOs to to do what you kind of said. Is oh my god, all these 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 variables, or how do you measure it? Squishy. It won't be squishy. You know, back to the old adage: measure what matters. So, when we talk about value now in the world of AI and machine learning and the Chat GPTs of the world, we're talking about environmental impact value. Mm. Or we're talking about social impact or we're talking about um, ethical and um, impact and the reason i say that is i foresee very shortly in the world of companies with boards that risk subcommittee of an audit committee of a board one day is going to say so tell me about this algorithm that you use to release this product to market and what unintended consequences had you planned for, Mr. or Ms. C CDO? Hmm. Now, that's a very technical conversation, and I'm not sure it would come out exactly like that. But how come we missed this thing that has environmental or social or human rights impacts we didn't know about? Huh. That's a value conversation. It's an economic value, not a financial, I'm holding a bag of money conversation. Okay. Fascinating. Um, I, I, I tend to agree, but I'm not sure we're prepared to answer many of those questions. If, if any of them, right? Like 
societal value as a whole. I, I had on a previous guest, a woman named Dr. Cheryl Flink, where, where she was talking about kind of human-centered design and where, where the value to society should be how we determine uh, or how we at least kind of fuel the decision-making process at organizations. Some of the things that you just tossed out, sustainability, right? I mean, that could be a, a that DEI could be a part of this. Sustainability could be a part of this. There's so many things that could be a part. But you were, it. yeah. Okay, here's one. Um, <laughs> I was I was reading some some research recently that that said anywhere up to this is your previous business, anywhere up to seventy percent of data in data centers is dark, meaning it's just sitting there collecting dust. Right. Um, and I also saw recent research that suggested that the data center industry produces more greenhouse gases than the airline industry. So let's assume that those are off by a factor of two. Even if they're off by a factor of two, those, those things sound kind of bad. Right. Like <laughs> and we got a data hoarding problem. But what you just said, what you just said is you could foresee a world where the board says, Hey, the New York Times has published something about us and how we're killing the environment because of all of our because of our data footprint. Did you think about that, CDO? And I guarantee the answer right now is no, I didn't. So well, wow, and in fairness, the CDO would need to be locked arms as best buddies with CIO, the CIO because yeah. they yeah. may or may not be always fully in control. But those two are joined at the hip on that. But it's a valid question. I agree. Here, here would be my answer to that one. Role play yeah. with me for a second. Yeah. In the world of AI. Granularity matters, not volume. So if I was a CDO or coaching a CDO or coaching someone to coach a CDO, I'd say, look, granularity, not volume matters. Having learned that the hard way myself, everyone wants to put the world's hoarding of data, shadow IT data all in one place and then go touch it and then throw magic fairy dust on it and it becomes valuable. That's not necessarily true, especially now. Example being, do you want 100,000 pictures to throw into an AI algorithm that are vague and not very discernible? Or do you want 100 really sharp images where you can see the background, the foreground at the pixel level to give to that same algorithm if the algorithm is meant to identify objects and images? You want the granularity. You don't want the volume. So my CDO, I'd say, look, go tell them how you can save money, reduce your storage, or at least take it down a bunch of tiers and have a conversation about, and in the future, it's granularity, not volume. So stop asking me to, and the CIO to hoard all this data for 30 years. <laughs> we don't need it all. What I think- And here's, well, your, here's your carbon footprint calculation going down by X. Well, I, I firmly believe that the board boards will ask CIOs for sustainability targets very soon, very soon, okay. very, very soon. Anyway, what, what I think I just heard you say and I and if and if true, I completely agree. Like so, this I, this idea of granularity, granularity to me would be a function of knowing what your desired outcomes were. Yeah. Okay. So you're nodding. You 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 agree. Yes. This was the number one recurring theme of my conversations with CDO when, when I was at Gartner, which was 
I'm having a hard time getting stakeholder engagement. I'm having a hard time getting funding. I'm having a hard time building out my roadmap or prioritizing my roadmap. And, and the list of, of, of knock-on effects here is long, but the common theme of all that was not knowing what the expected outcomes were supposed to be and not having a specific KPI that you're going after. One of the first things that you said today as part of our conversation, as, as a part of the kind of the recruiting process is to be razor focused on what you want that person to do and what you want out of the role. So this is this kind of the second time we've, we've come back to this idea of knowing exactly what you're delivering and be focused on, on, on outcomes. But Renee, I can tell you, so few CDOs actually do that. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out why. Like, why can't they build business cases? Why can't they tell you how they're driving business value? Well, I think, part, you know, and in fairness, I think, I mean, I think it was uh, Davenport and Bean wrote the article. I can't remember, but they talk about the seven personas of the CDO. Yeah. I mean, then, it's schizophrenic. It goes from everything from being a, a governor of the data that no one can touch unless they ask permission to it. So almost like a just a just say no and then I, I grant you access to you know the strategic thinkers. It's this whole spectrum, and you can't do all of that. That's setting somebody up for, for failure. So you may you may not know that because you are being asked to do all of it. I think it comes back to just saying what first business problem. Maybe it's all true. Sure. Maybe that's a roadmap of a journey. But clearly, if someone said, I need a CDO, something somewhere was there was an immediate business problem that you got to double click, triple click down to find that first thing that said, I need this role and why. And it may be the why might be, well, but that's not really the, what this role does. But let's talk about how we fix that. And then let's move on to these other things. I think the other pieces, CDOs need to kind of get engaged in that value, data value engineering. Like you have to actually push a bunch of stakeholders, you harness them in a room that are disparate across customer, employee, executives, the frontline workers and say, let's talk about what data means to us as a company and let's get very discreet. We can have 10 of these, 10 use cases, 20 use cases. The problem is usually not enough that we don't have enough use cases is having too many exactly. and which one to pick. And you got to pick one and you got to double down on it. And that comes back to that granularity. You can't have granularity in a conversation if you're trying to solve 25 use cases at the same time. Be granular, make that, get that success, and I guarantee you that success will be faster than you think if you laser focus on it. Harness that and the diversity of who all is at your company and in your own team. Empower them. That becomes that culture change. So indirectly, you're creating change agents. You're creating change champions. This is how we do it going forward. And then you can start tackling one at a time. But the granularity component is not just about the data. It's how you solve those problems. Sounds very MVP-ish to me. Minimum viable product-ish. Yeah, Sounds is. a little agile-ish to me. It is. Yep. Okay. All right. It is. You just, you just described a role that... I, I make a lot of posts on LinkedIn about here's what here's how you should build out your data and analytics organization. Here's some of the roles that you should be thinking about. Here's where you should be looking for it or A or B. And you just said something that I haven't included in any of those recommendations, but I think I should. You, you mentioned the value engineer. And I've actually worked with people who are value engineers, who, who call themselves value, value engineers, and they're brilliant and they're amazing. Often they are sitting in FBA. FP&A type roles, financial planning and analysis type roles, yeah. and maybe they're often in product type roles. But in the world of the CDO, that could be an important right-hand person, like, like literally a direct report to a CDO who is there helping 
maybe as part of an FP&A process, but helping the CDO figure out what is the value of A, B, or C. Do you, I, I, I'm having a little bit of an aha moment here because that would be brilliant to have that person be, be, be right there next to a CDO helping make those decisions. And, and you mentioned FPA and product, and there are value engineers having worked for, you know, again, Hitachi is more than just Inventara. It's a, a, at the time I was there, it had 900 subsidiaries. So we had IoT, we had manufacturing. And so we had value engineers and product and FPA of all walks of life. Imagine the KPIs, the interesting conversations. Wow, what's, what's your KPI for value? How do you measure it? And it's usually, you know, P times Q. It's either volume of something or the profitability of something. So putting that value engineer under a CDO and, and understanding that value actually may be defined differently as a result. The others aren't wrong. You just need another dimension now is absolutely the right way to go with this. And the oh, exercise that that value engineer should be involved in is bringing all of those diverse, right? Diversity solves problems best, hands down. Bring all those diverse opinions to the table to figure out what is it we're trying to do with our data, right? One's a product person, another person's the profitability or stock for the shareholders or whatever. What's the CDO trying to do? They're trying to reuse that data, that, that resource that never expires. It's a renewable resource. You can use it over and over and over again. It's not like it's going to go away if we don't do this particular use case now. It's going to stay there. But what's the next best? What is the best one we do next for the benefit of the company? Well, what you just said, I'm paraphrasing again, is kind of road mapping, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's being it's being very strategic in terms of helping define a data strategy, but it's also the ABCs, one, two, threes of of a, of a roadmap. Because for Across me. The board. Across the company as a whole, you get everyone aligned, not agreeing, but aligned to say, we're going this way. And mine's there. Mine's in the roadmap, but I'm okay that it's third and not first. <laughs> so what's the difference between an alignment? Agreement, everyone's still going to say, yeah, the sky's blue. Alignment yeah. is like, we're going to agree to disagree. I think it's green. You think it's blue, but we're all directionally correct. And we all know that whatever the color of the sky is, we're all moving in the right direction. Like we're all pointed up and to the right in the magic quadrant speak. <laughs> Does that make sense? Got it. Okay. So we, we've stacked hands and we've agreed and now we're going to go. Yes. It makes, it makes yes. total sense. Um, we, so we've agreed, we stack hands and now we're going to go charge the hill. Yeah. Or, or a different awesome. one is, Hey, um, Oh, there's a little bit of a delay. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing some oddities as well. Hopefully it's just uh, through the recording platform and not okay, cool. in reality, but yeah, I'm seeing some delays as well. Hopefully we can figure it out. Going. You made a mention of Chicago, your hometown. Well, yeah, I was going to say the other one I'd say in alignment <laughs> is, made... hey, Malcolm, you and I are aligned. We're going to be in Chicago for um, the Jazz Festival. I'm going to take a bus. You're going to take a train. But as long as we're going to be there or a plane, as long as we're there by 3 p.m. on Sunday, we're good. That's alignment. Awesome. Got it. So you have been dropping nuggets of CDO success since we started talking. Um, the, the first one was kind of know your role, be clear on the role, have clear expectations with your, with your senior leadership. We were just talking about the importance of what you call granularity um, and, and be razor focused on specific goals and specific outcomes. Uh, you were also uh, talking about getting alignment. You were talking about roadmap. You were talking about quick wins, being agile, being MVP. Have we missed anything in the, in the keys to CDO success? All those things, by the way, bang on. Uh, everything, I couldn't agree more. And obviously it's working for you. We miss anything? 
reporting structure, yeah. the higher up the better, is critical. And I'll use an analogy. And I, I have good CFO friends, so apologies in advance, my colleagues who hear this. But for the most part, if the CIO role gets put under the CFO, it is the kiss of death of transformative, innovative role. There's a few, there's asterisks, exceptions to all rules, but for the most part, I would say the same thing applies if the CDO is reporting under the CIO. Again, an apology, CIO colleagues, same. It, reporting structure and up-leveling that conversation to be on the executive committee or having access to that board when that board does say, hey, you just released this service and this service had an unintended consequence in Europe of X. What the heck? You don't want that coming through your boss. You want to have that conversation firsthand with whoever's having that, asking that question. So I think that's super important. And then I think the last one is really understanding having that IQ, sorry, EQ or EI capabilities. And I'll be biased for a minute in a good way that women research shows women have more of a strength in that naturally. Everybody can do it. But that tends to be a, a, um, a superhero strength for women. And I think that's a big one in the world of CDO, which is working in data and maybe a little more of the zeros and ones on a data side. You're really asking things like empathy, problem solving, rinse and repeat, put your, your leadership of dis diversity there to maybe have a little, little disagreement. In a, in a closed room to figure out what is the better answer. Things like that, I think, also are part of what's going to make that role successful. So getting back to the CFO, CIO. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble. But no, it's, it's okay. I mean, it, it, the CFOs are inherently conservative because that's how you want them to be. That's their job. That's yeah. their job, right? That's 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 their, that's their job, and they're inherently conservative. And if you're a CDO working for a CFO, I think your primary mandate is going to be don't blow up the business, <laughs> right? CIOs, on, on the other hand, are, are a little bit of both, right? A little bit of yeah. the inherent conservatism that goes in with IT, a yeah. little bit of the innovation, or a little bit of the R&D. But what I've seen under a CIO is, is a lot of what I've called in a few previous roles, kind of run run the business, not grow the business, right? Where there's right, a, where, business... BI, it's their business insights yeah. or analytics. Right. It's not right. the other stuff. Right. Yeah. It's not operational applications of the data. It's not the data sitting in the ERP or the CRM or those other systems. Maybe it's the infrastructure sitting underneath them, but the business processes that are fueling them are completely divorced from the data, which is which is problematic. So yeah, I think what you said makes makes complete sense. Now you were talking about the inherent advantages of women in leadership roles. You used a couple acronyms. I think, was it a tie back to the DEI acronyms? And, and well, it was, so. EI, it was EI and EQ. So emotional quotient okay. or emotional intelligence. Depends oh, on oh okay. 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 Thank you. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I, I missed it. Okay. That's okay. And, and as I said, this is not to disparage my, the other gender, we all can do this, but research shows that those quote soft skills, yeah. horrible word needs to stop. We need to stop calling it that. It's what we need more than ever. I call them leadership skills are just a little bit more um, of a natural tendency for women. And right now, when we talk about change enablement, data and AI literacy, teaching people to be citizens of data science, bring disparity and diversity to the table, and then get out of the limelight, not be the smartest person in the room, empathetic leaders are more patient and aware, all of that. That's a strength that women should 
double down on as CDOs. That is their superpower. And it may not necessarily be there in that job description they're looking at, but if you read between the lines and recognize how the company can be successful with a role like this, especially in the world of AI and chat GPT and all the pandemonium and chaos that's going on in social media about it, that is a skill that, or a, it's almost a competency or an asset for women that they should be using. So are you saying that, well, I'm hearing as an undertone here, kind of, you talked about empathy. You talked about a few other super skills. I also heard indirectly kind of consensus building, yeah. right? And being able to drive to levels of alignment in a, in a highly effective way, which is quite obviously one of the key skills of the CDO because it's, 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 it's horizontal. You need to go and talk to the, the revenue officer and, and you know, chief procurement officer and the CFO and, and drive consensus across them. Often when you don't own any of those individual processes, you're still going to be heavily influencing them. So that makes total sense. Now you've made uh, three references now to chat GPT um, and, I, and I haven't taken the bait yet. But I, I, I can't I can't resist. Yeah. I, I get the sense that that you're oh, seeing yeah. t uh, just a lot of hype. What, what I mean is this is this just just way oh. too much hype right now, or is or is or is should we be worried or should we be excited or what what do you think? So Renee's opinion: If social media was around during in my Symantec days, you had the Stuxnet event, or if, if social media was around during Y2K. Um, Y2K or Sarbanes-Oxley or any of those things, we'd be seeing it just like this. So let's just put that as kind of the table, set the table. So that's part of it. Um, however, it also is in the world of reframing what are tools. So back mm. in my day, when I went to math class and a math exam or a science exam, I could walk in, I'm going to date myself, with my HP scientific calculator. <laughs> and right. I could have that sitting next to me. Texas because for me. my test was not about can Renee do the square root of a ten, you know, a ten-digit number fast. That wasn't the point. I got to get that thing figured out so then I can go apply it and do my math and do my exam. ChatGPT same. Renee's opinion, humble opinion, <laughs> is if if we frame it upright and we do a number of things we'll talk about in a couple minutes, it is just another tool. And it's actually a tool to make us, like you said, my tagline is make humans be more human. Use our higher mm -hmm. order brain. A trait that chat GPT will never have because it's a human trait only. It's not a machine trait. Machines will never have this. And I very rarely say never in the world of technology. Curiosity. I don't turn on my laptop in the morning and chat GPT has a bunch of curious questions of me. I go to it with curious questions. Curiosity is what helps us reinvent and be human. AI, generative AI, those are tools that optimize. They optimize the hell out of stuff faster than our brains could even possibly imagine. So we need to be at the forefront of transformation, like you said, transformation, disruption, being curious and reinventing while that tool, and that's all it is, it's a cool tool and you can interact with it and it makes you laugh, is optimizing the heck out of something. The other piece to that, and then I'll pause and let you kind of say, what the heck, Renee, um, is we are responsible for the ethical use of it. So we may have, we're going to have to codify ethics, which is my, it blows my brain, right? Right. And we've got to codify it. We've got to codify it because if we don't codify ethics for the likes of generative AI tools like ChatGPT, 
it's not going to do the right thing. It's going to optimize on the not right thing, not even knowing that it's not the right thing. And I'll pause there for a second. What the heck, Renee? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you said, you said you're going to say, what the heck, Renee? I'm like, okay, what the heck, Renee? So our common friend, the highly intelligent, well-spoken, and much learned Bill Schmarzo would, would completely and totally agree with you on the codification of ethics. But I've actually had some interesting conversations recently online about this very topic. And I think you're right. If these, if these, if these algorithms, if these machines, if these really fancy formulas need specific direction on what a successful outcome looks like, right? Then, then we have to figure out a way to, to codify ethics. How in the world do you do that it, for something that is arguably, maybe it shouldn't be, I, I don't know, separate conversation, but that is arguably highly subjective. What's ethical to me may not be ethical to somebody else. And there's a lot of conversations going on around AI regulation. I know. Think of people like Elon Musk saying, we need to regulate this, right? And honestly, I'm kind of generally for smaller govern government, even though I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm generally for smaller <laughs> government, but I'm not concerned about the size of governments here, government, government and its involvement. I'm just concerned about the competency of government and its involvement because I, I think inevitably that's where things would go. But to the task of codifying ethics, that sounds hard. I, well, so back to my, remember, curiosity and reinvention, that's a human trait. I'm confident that the brilliance of our human higher order brain, it's a muscle, just like every other muscle in your body, more you use it, the better it gets. That's where we need to be focusing. It blows my brains as well. I can't, I can't imagine it either because I'm not, I'm not that smart in that space. But what I do know, and I'm going to quote one of my, my all-time favorite heroes, her name is Kathy O'Neill. She's a mathematician from UC Berkeley, also an author of a great book of probably 10 years ago now, Weapons of Math Destruction. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And the book, it's again, it's so relevant now as it was 10 years ago or, or so. But her quote was really great. Algorithms are only codified opinion. Algorithms are only codified opinion. It's it's opinions in math. And okay. she does a great YouTube video. I don't mean to promote, you know, I'm not promoting her specifically, but she's a great YouTuber TED Talk on her, her and her son's definition of a successful dinner and how you would go about writing an algorithm for that. And I'll just leave it there. <laughs> but, exactly. yeah. but, but okay, <laughs> it you can write the algorithm. That's not the challenge. It's codified opinion. So if we're already doing that, it's incumbent upon us to then somehow, and I don't even know what it looks like, Malcolm, so I'm saying it without right. knowing it, like going to the moon and back in the JFK era. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have to figure it out, is we got to codify ethics somehow. Like the basic, I don't know if it's human rights. And I mean, there's some basic things that I would like to think that as humans, being more human humans, we could actually agree on. Because if we don't, what's going to happen is they're going to, we're going to optimize for all that opinion that we're not even know, we don't even know what that opinion is in that code. And it's going to get optimized really fast. And we're going to create products and services and solutions and machines and tests and jobs and you name it, not even knowing the unintended consequences, the false positives and false negatives that we created with our eyes shut because we put our heads in the sand. It's already happening. The, the, the horse is out of that barn. I was just watching. I was just watching a video where 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 somebody had figured out 
where ChatGPT actually like hired TaskRabbit to get over a CAPTCHA process. So somebody had given ChatGPT a task of doing something that required getting past a, a CAPTCHA, right? The click here to prove you're not a robot, right? And ChatGPT successfully fulfilled the task. And, and, I, and I don't, I can't dive into the details because I just saw the sound bites, but the sound bites in and of itself were, were just like, oh my gosh. Where ChatGPT actually hired somebody like on, on TaskRabbit or Fiverr or whatever, one of the, you know, um, yep. of those services to actually do the CAPTCHA and lied in order to get the person to do it. They said, ChatGPT said they were a visually impaired person and needed help to do this. Like, so that, the horse is out that's of the barn. That's not ChatGPT. That's not a ChatGPT. I mean, ChatGPT optimized because that's already out there in the world of the internet and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like we created that. Oh man. As humans, I, I, we did I, I, I that. I talk for hours about this. This, this, this just, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just fascinating. I wrote a blog recently where I, I, I used a metaphor. It said that the horse is out of the barn, and we're racing, we're running after it with a bunch of ropes. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Well, you know, I think the other challenge, and back to how the CDOs can be more successful. There's slow adoption to this data-driven culture, that buzz phrase. And so yep. we're trying to race with a rope behind a racing horse of, you know, chat GPT or generative AI optimizing faster than our brains can possibly imagine. And we're trying to do data-driven culture change management. It's highly iterative. It's it requires collaboration. You go across, you go down, you, you empower your team to re re reach across and hold the arm or hand of the person across that's normally the mortal enemy of the business or whatever, and then have to come up with metrics to measure that and say it's successful. We're trying to do that while you got this thing rapidly optimizing. So it's, it is a, a little bit of a pressure cooker, I think recognizing it, just saying it out loud, putting it out there in the universe through a podcast to say, look, this is what we're up against. And we still have, we still own this thing. We do reinvention and we are still curious. Those two things, not yet anyway, not till we get to, you know, that next generation that we don't quite have only in fiction novels. Will we be able to say some, some entity besides human beings can do those two things. Lots of plates fitting. <laughs> Here on on that note, I'd I'd love and 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 my last question for you. I would love to hear from you. Well, let let me set the stage. Failure has been a huge part of my professional development. Um, and and, and having some massive failures along the way has been incredibly helpful for me. Believe it or not, I think I, I'm I'm a little concerned that that we've got a culture now that is that thinks failure is a bad thing. But for me, it's been incredibly important, and I've learned a ton from it. As a CIO responsible for data and analytics, what what is kind of maybe one of your biggest and 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 what failures and what did you learn from it? Well, I think you know I've always been the fail fast mindset. You're right. It is not we can say it and put it print on T-shirts, but failure is just never. It's that big F word that second worst F word in the world, right? Um, my failure was actually, um, kind of what I described earlier, foreshadowing a little bit of this, probably going to be asked this question. I was that CIO that used to be in the early days, an analyst and data person. And then you get, you know, you move your path of your journey, your career, and it winds like this and you end up in the CIO world. And in this particular case, I was a CIO of a subsidiary of 900 entity multinational company out of Japan. And it was, we need to get all this data. Think of all the data, the global data. Let's put all the data together. Renaissance, do something. 
So we got this funding and it was a big number of funding. And the, the, you know, the failure on me is what I just said. I've learned this the hard way. Like, wait, what business problem are we trying to solve? We're just trying to put all the data and clean it and put it somewhere. Because once you put all the data together, something awesome is going to happen because we have so much of it and we've kept it, we've hoarded it, like you said, for so long because we love to hoard data because mm -hmm. there's a might moment somewhere in that data that might make us the next widget or inside or something. So I did it and we finished it and you check the box off of all the project go live KPIs and you, you have all the success criteria that was established and then you're done and it was crickets. I'm like, okay, where are those data stewards? Where are those, <laughs> where are those logins to this thing that you all are going to be inquisitive and then figure stuff out. And, and all of a sudden you realized it was a giant business, business you know, a BI tool. It was rear view mirror stuff. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a data literacy or an AI literacy. And I didn't have those words back in that day, but now right, you know, right. it's 2020. No one knew how to have a conversation differently. They used this data in the same way they've always done it. It was a failure from the standpoint of lots of headcount, lots of people all in, total cost to invest and operate, probably $40 million. <laughs> wasn't a small number. It was advertised, it was depreciated, it was on my books and every other business unit that bought into it's on their books as a brick on their spend until it went away, until its value went away or we write it off. Well, we figured it out and we redid it, but it wasn't about the technology and it wasn't about keeping that data clean, which was only clean for about a nanosecond and then it was dirty again. It was back to that granularity, all right, pause, time out, let's go figure out something. And ultimately we turned it into a win, an aha moment saying, all right, what are this, what's happening in the business? What's, what do we want? We're getting ready to sell this brand new product. It's an MV, a minimal viable product, MV, right, MVP. We want to go find who will most likely want to buy this from us. And the salespeople want to go sell just to the people that probably would buy it because that's how they're compensated. And so we've created a, a propensity to buy algorithm out of a very small set of that $40 million investment, but it paid back and it continued to pay back at 90% plus propensity to buy for multiple years. I eventually handed over the keys to the, to the role to someone else as part of a succession plan, but it was very successful. So that was the aha moment. And that was the lessons learned the hard way by not more than just me, just what are we doing? Like what's the business problem we're trying to solve? And if I was a CDO, I don't think it would have been any different. Right. Because I had I had data data mini CDOs in all the lines of business that were so invested in building this thing that was very expensive and didn't didn't pay so back. you built you built you built the data and analytics, or at the very least the business intelligence field of dreams. You, you yeah, built it and, and they did not come. The the the, come. the 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 multi million dollar Tableau self service dashboard <laughs> and, and nothing against Tableau. Awesome product. Yeah. Could be anything. Yeah. Could be the click. Could be the burst. Yeah. That yeah. you, you, Einstein, whatever. Yeah. Um, self service dashboard, and nobody came. Okay. Yeah. And, I would say that, the other. Oh, go ahead. Please finish. Well, I'm just going to say the other part of that is build it. They won't come. I mean, that just makes it. Just we learned it the hard way. Don't. Mm -hmm. No. Everyone else listening, don't do that. Um, but the other one that we got caught up in a lot, and I call it the Coke versus Pepsi debate. Um, right. In my early days, is it Oracle or SAP? Or before that, is it uh, is it Lotus Notes or Outlook? And now it's Kubernetes versus Hadoop. We got so stuck on 
like it's it's an opinion. Is it right? Azure it's or is it AWS? Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it, it had no bottom line value add whatsoever. And I'm going to get price slaughtered for the statement, but they all kind of do the same thing. Sorry. At the end of the day, they kind of do. Kind there's, of undifferentiated there's opinion. products. Yeah. There, there's opinion and there's price discrete business cases, but you got to invest and it's going to be sticky and you got to make it work. And the, the quicker you align back to alignment, not agreement, align and say, let's move on with this thing so we can get to this upper right magic quadrant thing that we're trying to do together as the first use case of many that will, will actually be successful regardless of Azure versus whatever or Hadoop versus Kubernetes. So that was my other aha learning. Well, it, it's funny. The recovery from my biggest failure was finding a sales use case. And in your case, in your case, it was finding the sales use case, right? Which is make salespeople money and you're a hero, right? Like it's that simple, right? Like it's, it's don't, you don't have to go hoard all of this data and, and build the giant, you know, Mount Everest of data um, or, or the analytics field of dream to help salespeople make some more money as a, as a V1. And you'll, and you'll be a hero for, you'll be able to ride that wave at least six months, probably a year. <laughs> well, then they'll ask you to do more. So if you're bringing right. money in, making profitability for the shareholders, or if you're a nonprofit, you're you're bringing in that value that the company is expected to do do good with, and you know you're going to ask to do another one, and they're going, to, how did you do this? And then you can start that buzz, that data literacy campaign, that that change management culture that unfortunately is incumbent upon this role, that CDO role. If you're going to get to being a data-driven culture, which is you know a def, you know definition of success for this role, you got to do it in a storytelling way that's relatable to your audience. You got to come over the proverbial wall or that fence and talk in their language. And salespeople want to make money. Shareholders want to get profitable dividends. The audit committee of the board doesn't want to be at risk of X, Y, Z. Like figure out that and then UCDO will have the secret sauce for success. With that, wiser words were never said. Thank you so much, Renee, for joining us today. It's, it's, it's been a real thrill. It's, it's great to hear success stories from somebody who's been there. So my thank you for joining. Oh, welcome. Thank you. This was a blast. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. To our viewers, our listeners, our subscribers, thank you so much for joining in to another episode of CDO Matters. And I look forward to seeing you on another episode sometime very soon. Bye for now. Aloha. Aloha.